Hello, hello. Welcome to Two Crickets in a Thorn Tree, the smoothest glass of Amarula for your mind. I'm Nicholas Lorimer, half of your hosts, and I'm joined as ever by the other half of your hosts. Gabriel Krauser. <laughs> so that sound, I presume, is because we're recording late at night after uh, a long weekend. It is Sunday night. It is a sleepy time of, of, of the week. Uh, and yet this is the only time we had available. So we are going to boldly soldier forth and talk about things. Yeah, it's been that kind of week. I mean, I think it's quite nice to have a week uh, jam-packed. And I don't know what jam-packed means, because like a jam jar can be quite sort of half empty. Maybe it's uh, packed like jam, like it's squashed altogether, because jam is squashed, right? Very, very squashed together. I don't know if jam is very squashed together. Sometimes isn't it like... Like someone was complaining about marmalade this morning. They were like, I don't know if there's enough orange in here. It's very, it's been separated out. It's been diluted by all this gelatinous marmalade. Like this, is this floating marmalade jelly. Truly, truly jam. I mean, I know it is jam, but at the same time, is it also really jam? Okay, it's not. Marmalade's not jam. <laughs> we're, we're, we're starting this Sunday with just guns blazing, fire <laughs> coming out of the hot takes. <laughs> Nick, you're gonna you're gonna freak me out here, buddy. We gotta come on. Words have meanings. Marmalade no, no, is a know, kind of jam. You can't, here's here's you can't how I define jam in my mind, right? And this is an ancient childhood ritual. Things I like are jam, and things that are like <laughs> jam, but that I don't like. Is marmalade or something else? <laughs> is it, is, that's in the marmalade category. Okay, it's, Dude, that's fine. Marmalade or other? <laughs> I had. I got to say, I had an amazing jam since we were on the jam jam. Uh, yeah. I had Cook Sister jam this weekend. Isn't that the most Afrikaans they, thing you've they, ever heard of? First and secondly, and squash it. <laughs> Dude, there was a jar inside the jar. Cook Sister jam. It was. Outrageously I good. I don't follow. It was just, dude, you could spread on your biscuit or toast like pure syrup and dough, like just a little bit of dough in it, like a little bit of a crunchy cooks just a bit and then syrup, but with a slightly, with a very telling, uh, distinctly <laughs> cook sister flavor. It didn't taste like just syrup, it tasted like cook sister. That's interesting because I think there's probably only two countries on earth that could produce such a sugary thing. Um, and one is South Africa, of course, but the other one is the US, yeah. where they love to put far too much sugar and syrup into things. So this south. is one of the many ways in which uh, <laughs> the deep south of the US and South Africa, I think, are similar. <laughs> Dude, also, from the, same, from the same jam maker in the middle of the free state, bacon jam. Oh, now that. It's just oh. innovation. Oh. <laughs> it's so it's for the man on the go who doesn't have time to fry himself some bacon for breakfast, but does have enough time to get a little toast out the toaster. Butter you it see, up when people ask us what we're fighting for, jam. it's bacon jam. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so we should probably talk about something which I'm sure you've had to talk about far too much in the past couple of days. And that is, uh, well, you were a expert witness um, somewhat recently, uh, and you testified in the Afroforum EFF hate speech incitement case. Uh, and um, 
the judgment has just been given and it seems like Afroforum did not do too well. Can you tell us a little bit about what the judgment says, whether my reading there is correct? And like, I mean, let me let me just start off by firing from the hip. So as far as I understand, one of the rulings the judgment made is that to sing to sing kill the boer um, is not hate speech, uh, which seems a little bit at odds with uh, it's the Kualani judgment, is it? And also with the fact that simply the, <laughs> the act of waving the old South African flag are hate speech. This doesn't seem entirely consistent with me. So can you can you explain to me? Okay, let me try. I do find, yeah, this has been a tricky week. Can I just start out with what matters most? Right. Me. <laughs> I matter most, I guess. How on earth could you not ask about me? Big, big if true. <laughs> <laughs> okay judge, well go on tell us your woes tell us your woes the, ju- the judge the judge re- rejected my testimony as an expert witness but didn't really i can't really understand why so all i'm really getting out of this is that my feelings are hurt <laughs> that's a bit um, rude to not give you a reason why well he said that i'm don't i'm not qualified and that my evidence was not probative so on the not qualified i wish he'd explained that because he said, for example, that Ernst Rutz, the deputy head of AfriForum, was qualified to be an expert witness in the sense that he had a master's in law. We had an LLB. That's not even a master's in law. So I've only got a BA. So does that mean I don't have like a master's what a ridiculous, degree? So I'm not I'm qualified. Sorry, that sounds ridiculous to me. I, Maybe I'm, that's not what he meant, but he didn't explain it. And I don't know how else to understand not qualified. That sounds really outrageous was, to me. There really was no explanation. So I'm, and I'm very sad because I was getting along with Judge Molatleli very nicely um i had like two hours of questions from every forum three hours of questions from the eff and then an hour of questions from the judge and we were riffing off each other he was finishing my sentences i was like i felt like we were an old married couple i felt like we could go <laughs> sit down on a bench throw some breadcrumbs at the ducks talk about life talk about history talk about philosophy and really get along i, f- I, I still feel very simpatico with him um yeah. But uh, but he but he sort of uh, he just uh, uh, you know a little slap a little slap me away. I feel very rejected. Anyway, the word is rejected. I was rejected. Um, okay, the the overall judgment. I I think you have. I think you've made exactly the right mistake, Nicholas. I mean, obviously, Price. one mistake you made was forgetting that I'm what I care about most. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> But, but, but that's not really the case. The, the 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 really the really good mistake that you made was saying that the song "Kill the Boer" um, is has found not to be hate speech, and it would be even better if you'd said the song "Dubula Ibunu" has been found not to be hate speech, right. um, whereas the flag has been found to be hate speech. Right. So the the thing about the flag case was that there wasn't a particular incident of waving the flag. So it wasn't like... uh, Yeah, that was one of the weird things about it, wasn't it, right? It was kind of just, this thing is bad in sort of general terms. Well, the head of the the Nelson Mandela Foundation brought it, and he explained that he was like had come back from Robben Island on the day of Black Monday when there was the first and only sort of mass nationwide protest against farm murders. And he saw Nicholas Bauer's tweet, my old roommate, uh, and a uh, sort of ENCA, EWN guy, tweet of an old South African flag, an apartheid flag, whatever you want to call it, 1924 flag, uh, being waved at the protest. 
and he said uh, it traumatized him so much and he thought about all the sort of people that were in Robben Island who are not dead, sort of spinning in their graves. And so he brought the complaint um, against the flag itself because he didn't want to go into the effort of of verifying well the truth is you know it turned out well, that Nicholas Powers tweet was fake yes <laughs> so, <laughs> well, that's a bit awkward <laughs> so, but, then, but then he said it doesn't matter whether or not it's actually happened it could happen and the fact that someone could wave the flag in the new South Africa is is what we is what we consider to be uh, the unjust, the injustice that needs to be remedied by the court. So, but I don't want to get too much into that case, excepting there's two points. One, maybe we'll get to later. But the first point is in that case, it was the flag on trial. If you could imagine right. a, a little cartoon in the, in the accused, you know, with like little labels, here's the lawyer, here's the, here's the, the victim, the plaintiff, here's the accused. Uh, the, the accused sitting there would be, would be a flag. Now, of course, they couldn't actually put the flag in the chair in the courtroom <laughs> because that would have ah, triggered a whole bunch of refusing people. To t- yeah, <laughs> refusing to testify, I see. <laughs> <laughs> refusing to stand up when the judge comes per- in and goes Permission out. to treat the witness as a, as a hostile, hostile. witness. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, can you imagine all the more airtime? I mean, that flag got so much flipping airtime from... Like the images, you know, the camera would have been looking at the flag all day and people would have been exploding. And anyway, so the point is in this South Africa, instance, South Africa may be yeah. a silly place, but we're not that silly yet. Yeah, we're, we're pushing, not doing the, uh, the cadaver synod. We haven't made you know the story of the cadaver synod. No, there was a medieval pope who was accused of. After he died, his the guy who came in next was a, had had a bit of a PR problem, and so he decided to kind of blame everything on the previous guy, and so they went and dug up his corpse and put it on trial. Yes, and they found it guilty, unsurprisingly. Yes, <laughs> they we've, threw it we've, in the river. Oh man, give us a few years, we'll get there. <laughs> someone, someone, go and find where like Favurt's grave is, and <laughs> and and like set up a camera. Charge a fee. The day's going to come when he gets dug up and put up on trial. It's going to be great. I mean, he is going to be guilty. So, <laughs> yeah, at least, <laughs> at, at least, least they, they will have got money. one. We will put someone yeah. on trial. <laughs> <laughs> oh my word! We will right, fill the so, prisons. So, so that but but uh, what I take it you're getting to here is that the song itself was not on trial. It was yes. what, the singing of the song in a context. Yes, and your characterization of like, so the song has been declared not hate speech. The, the song is not hate speech. It never was hate speech. It, in my opinion, look, and this is not to say that some people in Afri Forum haven't said that the song should be hate speech. Um, right. But th- that's definitely, uh, I come apart from anyone who says that in, in so far as uh, I think that's pretty, pretty crazy. I mean, there's a certain sense in which it can never, the song is always going to be protected at the Apartheid Museum. Right. It's traumatizing. It's harrowing. Uh, I can't, you know, if you haven't been to the Apartheid Museum, I really recommend you go. It's, it is just the best run, curated, fabulous, difficult, difficult, difficult um, uh, concentration of history uh, in an accessible way that this country has. Um, and for sure, when you go to the Apartheid Museum, uh, one of the things that you're going to hear is uh, is kill the boy, kill the farmer, uh, shoot to kill, etc. 
right. th that can never be undone. Um, that's not even a question. The Constitution protects, you know, uh, historical, artistic, curatorial, academic, and so, journalistic purposes. I believe, but even of outside the, uh, of that, yeah, the conditions for hate speech is that it has to sort of be inciting some kind of direct violence. So the issue was the Siena call, you know, the gathering at Siena call for the bail hearing of two people accused of murdering Brendan Horner. Um, one has subsequently been properly exonerated by uh, sort of medical evidence. The other one, who was always the more plausible, seems to have escaped through the twilight zone. Um, maybe, maybe correctly, maybe incorrectly. Um, <clears throat> but that was there was this gathering, and and here's you know relevant facts in my mind that I don't see reflected in the judgment were that the deputy president, former president of the country, Kachemel Motlante, had said, I am worried about a civil war starting in Senegal. That Julius Malema had responded to this by saying, if there's going to be a civil war, so be it. <laughs> yes, I, rem I remember being in Senegal. I remember speaking to poor people, rich people, black people, white people, to all kinds of people in Senegal the night before... You couldn't get into the town without going through a police search because the police were so worried about violence. They were going through yes. everyone's cars checking for guns. When you get to the KFC, when you talk to the people selling cigarettes on the side of the road, people were very afraid. What were they afraid of? They were afraid of mob violence. They were afraid of one side going off to the other side. They were afraid of mm. the you know, Pandora's um, champagne bottle being uncorked and, and blood being poured into the streets. Uh, they, I'm right. using and with, flowery with, language, but people were very much in earnest. Right, and with very good cause, out. because Sirico was the one where the people tried to break into the court, right? Mm -hmm. Or did break into the court. Did break into the court. And in Yala, which is a right. sentence. And, of course, uh, the EFF also has, shall we say, a bit of a track record of being at least in the proximity of uh, types of mob violence particularly with regards to something like, uh, you know, checkers, uh, what is it, clicks, sorry, and, and other such things. So you've got a group of people who've just attacked court recently, or some people, uh, and then you've got a group of people who have a reputation for taking the fight to the streets, so to speak, yeah. and they're going to have a big meetup in the town. Very Two legitimately, groups. right. Yeah. Very legitimate fear, I think, there. Yeah, So so, you know, free speech... Um, like everything has its limits, you know, you've, you've got, uh, in fact, and I, and I really mean that like every good rule is defined by the circumstance in which that rule, uh, the standard is not met for that rule to apply. Um, so for example, if you, you know, libel, it's, it's just, uh, there are some libertarians, there are some absolutists some sort of ideologues who think you should never be able to sue someone for lying about you in the public. In, 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 right. in newspaper reports. Um, but it's pretty uncontroversial that if someone lies about you and it destroys your business um, and you can go to court and prove that they were not only saying something that's not true, you can prove that they knew it wasn't true, you can prove that they were doing it in order to hurt your business and you can prove that they did then bankrupt you. Uh, if you can, And those are all very hard things to prove, and that's why this almost never happens. Right, and um, it does differ It does differ from country to country. So in the UK, it's much easier to sue, sue people for libel than it is in the US, for example. Yeah, and I think reasonable people should disagree about, about how easy it is. Where the line is, yeah. Um, but I think it's 
sort of I I think it's pretty wild to suppose that there's no there is no example in which it would ever be justified for someone to sue, which is to say to bring to bear the force of the courts, uh, someone else uh, uh, for for libel. That's one kind of limitation on free speech. Another kind that's just uncontroversial is inside the court, you're not allowed to make a noise that gets in the way of uh, the judge and the other parties hearing what's being said. And that happened in this case. You know, people came in and they sang Dubulay Bunu, uh, which is a very beautiful, sonorous, entirely Zulu uh, passage of music uh, and is not... <clears throat> That is a very the toy toying part. There is no toy toying in Dubulay Bunu. Kill the Bua right. and Dubulay Bunu. People think of it as as synonymous. It's not synonymous. It's different music. It's different vibe. It's a different language, as it happens. Right. Uh, so my favorite is it's like and, when and people the one hypes you up. Yes, one one hypes you up. The other one is like a, a mournful funereal dirge, I think would be the technical term, uh, both historically and in terms of uh, music theory. So, uh, some people came in wearing a Zappo paraphernalia, which uh, triggered very fond memories in my mind because I was a bit of a Nazanius uh, <laughs> as a small child. Zappo, there's not much of a Zappo left. I think you saw. The 70% of its membership. Yes. I saw three people, <laughs> 70% of the Zappos membership. And, they were saying, and, and, and the, you know, okay, what did the judge do? He kicked them out. And he said, like, if anyone comes in and does this again, I'm going to throw them, you know, effectively in the drunk tank. Um, right. So you can, you know, people with guns can come and shut you up in a court. There's no free speech in the gallery, buddy. Right. Um if you have something to say, you must say it outside the court or say it at a time when it's not getting in the way of testimony. So there are these limits on free speech. Here's an, the silliest limit on free speech that people say, textbook example, is, you know, you can't shout fire in a theater. That's not true. Except you when there is a fire. <laughs> yeah. I mean, firstly, when there is a fire, you can shout fire. When there's not a fire, you can also shout fire. Like, there is no case I've, of someone shouting fire in a theater. And, and Yeah, I'm pretty away. sure that this... That, that that original example and that phraseology comes from someone attempting to restrict freedom of speech in the U.S. during the First World War using a Correct. hypothetical. Yes. So it's not even like a, <laughs> a real thing that happened. It's it never just... happened. It was never like a judge was like, well, this guy's a dweeb. No, and the same judge who restricted free speech during World War One in America uh, then became... Outrageously. Uh, outrageously. Opinion. It was very, very outrageous. Yes. I agree. Then made a judgment where he, he he produced this very potent language, saying that you know uh, free speech is is the most important thing, and you know America's First Amendment I think uh, is about guarding uh, thinking out loud from state uh, coercion uh, to the greatest degree possible. Um, so uh, I, I like that he he sort of saw the error in his ways, although. Um, it would be just as much an error, I suppose, to think that there's no circumstance, you know, to think that libel is never uh, right. a punishable offence. And but and, so yeah, sorry. and just just uh, just a, a, a little asterisk on that point. During that same period, President Woodrow Wilson, in absolute terms, arrested more people than Benito Mussolini. 
So <laughs> Woodrow Wilson, uh, not our favorite president. <laughs> no, <laughs> but anyway, you were saying sorry. So, so the textbook case is of of um, uh, the speech that um, is not protected is when you're standing up in front of a mob and there's very reasonable expectation of violence, and then you encourage them to go hurt other people or break Right, them. so there's a mob, and then you say, hey, guys, let's go burn down that thing over there. That's a really good thing that we should do. In fact, it's, it's required by good morals and solid standing to go and commit some violence right now over there. Yeah. And the so mob is like, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's, 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 not, that's not protected speech. Um, that is... Uh, and it's funny to call it hate speech. I think I'm not a huge fan of the phrase hate speech. I, d I don't think that when people hear hate speech, that's what they first, that's what comes to mind. Usually when people hear the phrase hate speech, they think, oh, the flag, oh, a swear word, a, a term of insult. Yeah. They think of, of, a, of a bit of text rather than a particular incident. And the point is right. uh, the circumstance that matters is, is very concrete. It's very physical. It's, it's, it, it, and in particular, it's if there's a mob and there's a leader on a stage that commands the respect of the mob, and then that leader directs them to go and do harm. And the reason that this sounds so complicated is because it's uncontroversial once again, that if you say, hey, Nicholas, I'll pay you 10,000 rand if you go and kill that Australian, Australian scrum half that, uh, <laughs> with a moustache. That, whoa, whoa, uh, whoa, whoa! We can do it for much cheaper than that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if if I in earnest make that offer to you, my speech is not protected speech. You can't say, "Oh, yes. the government can't get in the way of." Cause that's it's, it might hurt your feelings to discover that someone is. We got a God-given right to bar hitmen. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, 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 no! You don't. Even <laughs> if that person, even if you hire, you try and hire someone, and then they don't go ahead and do it. Right. You're still guilty of a crime. It is the act of that. It is that speech act. If it is earnest, and to see if it's earnest or not, you need context, um, and you need a very high burden of evidence. You know, if there's any linguistic room for doubt, reasonable doubt that actually you were joking or something like that, then you can't go to jail. But if it's beyond any reasonable doubt that you were trying to commission someone to go and kill someone else, then you've got to go to jail, whether or not they actually go and kill the person. So likewise, we don't only influence what other people do by paying them. We also influence what other people do by suggestion. And the word suggestion gets raised to incitement when you're dealing with a leader and a mob. So if I now, suggest to you something that's not the same as suggestion is not an offense. You know, if I, if I suggest that it might be, a, you know, you might uh, solve all your problems if you go kill your wife and, and claim the life insurance, I don't go to jail for making that suggestion um, because I can reasonably suppose that you wouldn't have gone ahead and done it because you would have had the time to soberly reflect and make your own decision and realize that this is the wrong thing to do. There's always reasonable doubt when you make a suggestion to a friend. And but when is, the mob is, is there in front of you and it's angry, then there is no room, there's no time delay. There's no like, oh, I, well, I thought they weren't actually going to take it seriously. Right. Um, and and it's 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 that that specifically is where you know the kind of workista crowd tends to try and abuse this principle by saying, you know, when you say that, for example, trans women aren't, aren't women, that this is incitement, 
of a kind, right? In the sort of general sense that it's like putting out this compelling wave into the population that normalizes violence against trans people, right? And that's a that's a very bad abuse of that particular um, principle you've just talked about. And that's exactly why uh, a lot of people, I think, have this like gut reaction to just thinking, oh, no, no, there's no such thing as this sort of hate speech, protected, uh, unprotected speech kind of thing. Yeah. Because, because they're, they're worried about people it. Right, yes. using that example. I think that's right. Um, yeah. And I, uh, it's hard to, I think that, you know, if, if you're putting something on Facebook, and it's a direct message to people that have, you know, if you're on the same WhatsApp group and, and guys are like, dude, we've arrived at the school where we heard some terrible thing happened. And then someone says, says and and everyone knows everyone and they know that they all really hate what happened and that there are some dudes there that are that have a record of violence, a history of violence that's known to one another. And then one of them says, okay, guys, let's go ahead with the plan and burn the school down. <laughs> <laughs> then sending that message on WhatsApp is not protected speech. Uh, right. Even if that guy's sitting in Canada, you know, extradite him, get him here. Um, that's you, right. if he's in the realistic context. If he's, if it's like someone WhatsApps to someone else, like we often say on the show, you know, I'd like to fire this person into the sun. It's clear that <laughs> yeah. we're not actually going ahead and doing yes. that. So context and this really is, matters. This is where yeah. most of most of the controversy around this principle comes in on different interpretations of what people mean. So and and so what was really say, interesting, yeah. yeah. Some people say, "Oh well, when you say this about, like in my example, trans women on women, what you're doing is you're, uh, I believe the term is dog whistling. You're giving a sort of secret signal to people to encourage them to act in a certain way, and that's where the complexity lies in this whole debate." Well, so to my mind, it's it's very easy to deal with that because if you if you put out as your Facebook status or you go on on. 702 radio or you go on sabc news and you say you know this is my view trans women aren't women right. you don't know where your audience are you don't know yes. if your audience are are this is not like whatsapping your friends outside of a trans person's house and saying go and <laughs> yes when they're they're all standing there with with rifles and baseball bats <laughs> you say yes. and then you say look that's not a that that's not even a person that thing doesn't deserve yeah. any rights you should burn it down that is very yes. different to the situation where people are at home they're eating breakfast if you as an as if you're encountering speech on your laptop and that's the that's the original source of the speech it's not like uh something you're seeing secondhand in other words you're watching the radio show the person speaking to a radio host you're watching a tv show you're reading a newspaper article you're reading a facebook status that can never be incitement because for it to be incitement the, the incitor has to know where you are specifically has to know something very specific about you and 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 what makes it very likely for you to do what they say and for there to be an instruction and for you to follow that instruction um, because also because you are not just because you like them, but also because you are sort of uh, sorry, both because you are disposed to target the same victim groups that the leader is disposed to target. And because you have some respect for the leader in some sense and it, and That's the respect a, for the leader thing can be less. It can just be that, you know, this is a trustworthy member of the revolution, but there's got to be some kind of connection there. And that so, just so never holds that, on the news. Yeah, yeah. That one of the things that's uh, 
so there's two things that are kind of uh, leading to, to what you're saying here, if I'm understanding correctly. One is that there has to be some kind of direct personal connection. And two, there has to be some element of, of, of passion or intent yes. or like yeah. there's, there's, like, there's, there's, there's emotional energy that might cause people to act outside of the law. Yeah. There's a, disp- yeah, the technical term would be, you know, one is well disposed. There is a high yes. probability that this disposition is going to be triggered. Um, so, and yeah, again, personal relationship. It doesn't mean that uh, the, the politician standing on the stage has to know any of the names of the people there, but he has to have some reason to suppose that they um, share an allegiance. These are my oaks. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 so anyway, so the point is that the textbook case, if there ever is one for um, restricting speech is... Uh, stopping politicians from telling angry mobs to go and hurt other crowds of people. Um, And my testimony, the main reason I was prepared to go and testify, I sort of contradicted some things that AFRI Forum said and the judge pointed it out, I guess. Uh, In that sense, I didn't help their case, but I was called by them. Um, And the reason was that I wanted to testify about my experience in Senegal. I wanted to contextualize it by saying I've been to other EFF rallies, I've interacted with EFF people that are dirt poor and EFF people that are living it up in Santon on champagne and caviar. <laughs> I've been to the largest rallies and people have wept with joy and danced with me. Uh, that you cannot assume when you see a red beret that you are looking at a person who's disposed to violence, that you are looking at a person right. who's disposed to hate white people. I think it is extremely important for South Africans to know and for that court to know that just because someone is a part of the EFF or wants to be part of the EFF doesn't mean they are violent uh, racists. Um, yes. And for all that... And thank God for that. <laughs> thank God for that. Um, and I just had such a different experience on the day in question in Senegal. Um, after and Ndlozi had uh, uh, sung a song uh, calling to for on the mob, as it were, to go and burn things down, I went and asked EFF people um, how they were feeling that day. And uh, sort of the first three groups didn't want to talk to me and they said, go closer to the big crowd. And then I got to the big crowd and then people were trying to assault me. Um, and some were sort of holding them back, but first going for the verbal blows. And it was, I mean, it was the most hostile experience that I had had until I then had people sort of also in EFF regalia throw rocks at me and shout that they wanted to kill me because I'm white. Um, right. at, an, at another incident where people had been uh, making very uh, insightful comments and where someone was stabbed to death, as far as I gather. Uh, the police uh, still won't uh, sort of give me details on that case, but and four other people were attacked. Um, you know, the, uh, shouting angry things into a mob really can make a difference. Um, and uh, when it's explicitly racist... Uh, right. That can that can have a telling effect, and and so I wasn't there to prove that um, that Ndlozi should be, you know, I wasn't there to make up the judge's mind on how to weigh up the legal questions, but I was there to say I've dealt with EFF crowds before, I found them amicable on that day. Um, if it wasn't for some top brass dudes getting me out of there and uh, and and me getting back to the police, I'm. Uh, people were telling me that they were going to assault me. Um, And that had come directly after a a leader had told the the crowd to to guard and do damage. 
So what you're saying is there was a personal connection and passions were running high. Yeah. And, and it, and it, uh, and it wasn't great. So, um, and the judge must make of that as what he wishes. He, how the judge dealt with my evidence is he said, Krauser said um, that there were these, you know, there was this call to go burn things down. And later on, some farms were burnt down, uh, sort of, as it were, on the highway away from Santa Col back to where some of the EFF buses had come from. Um, but Krauser said that you couldn't prove that the one caused the other. Uh, which I did, and you can't. Um, and so, and then right. he's, and then he said, so like he's not helping every forum's case, uh, and it's in that sense my evidence is not probative, uh, and so he's rejected as a witness. Um, but but my the the problem is, I think for the judge, or for the judgment, is that you don't need to pass that test. In other words, he was making out as if this is the test for incitement. Firstly, you have to figure out. Did a leader tell a mob directly right there, you know, go and do harm, firstly? Secondly, did the mob go and do harm? And then thirdly, can you prove that the mob would have done harm? You know, can you prove that if the leader hadn't said it, then the mob wouldn't have done it in any event? Right. In other words, uh, you know, maybe the mob would have if, gone ahead and done this harm nevertheless, regardless no, of what was the just, leader said. He was just riding the wave. So, you know, you can't – so, okay, if you could prove to me, if you can go ask the people in the mob, hey, guys, did you do this because you were told to do this by your leader? And they say yes. Then you can prove incitement. But unless you can go and get the mob to say that we did it and we did it because he told us to, uh, then you don't have incitement. So that third test is the test that he set up um, and, he, and, that, and that he said I helped show that AfriForum couldn't pass that test, uh, that uh, – you, you couldn't prove um, that any of the damage that was done was done because uh, of what was said on stage. Therefore, these guys can't be guilty of incitement. Um, and that's just not a standard. That third test is not a standard that's ever applied anywhere in the world. And definitely, well, as far as I can tell, what I've been told, what I've sort of read, uh, doesn't apply in South Africa. I know it's on that basis that was the first basis that that the every forum legal that every forum had said they were going to go ahead and appeal on uh to the supreme court of appeals um and you know i kind of i part of part of part of what i think's maybe good about this is that i hope i mean the, the sad thing about it is that immediately there's more the eff singing kill the boer in the courthouse but as I said on this podcast, you know, I don't think, uh, like, there's no ways when the EFF are inside a courthouse and they're singing Kill the Boer. To my mind, there's no ways that that can count as unprotected speech. You can't send someone to jail or, or find someone for singing Kill the Boer in a court because there's no realistic expectation that in the court, uh, they're going to say go kill the boy, and then it's going to go and happen. So again, it's like the song is not on trial, and one of the places where you can always—it's not listed in the protected grounds of the constitution, but one of the unlisted places where it's always going to be fine on the basis of context to sing kill the boy is when you're in a court, because 
everyone there, the white guys, the black guys, the boers, the anti-boers, whatever, you know, the anti-boers. <laughs> many of whom are white. Uh, no, no, know. it's 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 and funny because it's, it's an accurate term, it's just an odd term. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the boers and the anti-boers, like you know, they, they they are so surrounded by police that there's that it, it is unreasonable for anyone to suppose. It's as unreasonable to suppose that you can do incitement there as it is for me to suppose that I can say to you, Nick, you know, uh, uh, kill kill the Russian. You know, me saying that to you on this podcast, I know that's not going to change your behavior and, and make you go out killing riskies. Um, that would involve you leaving your home, which you're not going to do. Which, so, yeah, any judge who know who examined the evidence would know that that's an impossible standard to assume. You know? it's, it's not I mean, it's, it's, it's unless someone is in my house, it's basically impossible to incite me. Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 but, but, so, I think the bad thing is that there's going to be more of singing that song, and there is a plausible statistical correlation between when that song gets sung more, more people being murdered on farms um a correlation without proven causation is just a correlation so it's a reason to worry but not a right. reason to uh, but uh, also overstate know. things but the good side is that people i hope will have a chance the media will have a chance the court action coming forward will have a chance to clarify the issue that it can't be the song itself that's on trial it must be uh, particular incidences the, right. and, and in fact, not particular incidences, particular people. We live in a society. The only things that can be on trial are people. We live in a country comprised yeah. by individuals, and individuals must uh, stand trial. And they can be humans or they can be political parties. They, they don't put races or pick, religions though. or things like that no. on trial. No, no, or songs. It's crazy to put a song on trial, but it makes <laughs> perfect flags. sense. Just, or flags. makes perfect sense to put a person on trial. Um right. Or, or a group of persons who have acted so in a certain way valid, after the a voluntary uh, co cooperative organization, structured organization. Yeah. No, exactly. So, so that's my hope. That my hope is that in the build-up to the SEA, people drop the nonsense. You know, it's like this. The funny thing about this case is, um, I you know I mentioned Caesar Paul for Walsh last time because I saw him at, at Bloom. You know, in his in his statement where he said, you've got to watch out if the ANC loses power in 2024, the Institute of Race Relations will probably take over the whole of South Africa. Um, and <laughs> together with... The audience can't <laughs> see, but I'm viciously rubbing my hands together with glee at the thought. <laughs> but, and then he cussed Afriform and he was like, you know, the way you can tell Afriform is silly is because they think that the flag should be allowed the old flag should be allowed and the old struggle song should be banned and um and i you know i just think that that's a, a, a one way to think about that statement is it's like uh in a certain sense it would if that was if that was the case an individual who says um you can never sing that song there's never a context in which it's going to make sense to sing that song legitimately. Uh, and you can also never say that there's a context in which waving the flag is illegitimate. Um, then that would be logically inconsistent for sure. But that's not anyone's position. But it's a nice straw man to put up because it makes it sound like Afriform's position is like give give brownie points to the whites. 
Uh, they can fly, wave the flag. That's what they want. And punish black people. They want to sing Kill the Boer, but you can't let them do it because right. they can't handle right. it. Um, and then to contra- you know, to say the contrast of that, Caesar's view is like, you know, get, you must ban the flag and say that it's always okay to sing Kill the Boer. Even if you're in front of an angry mob at a bail hearing for a farm murder, where the context is the police have blockaded the entire town because they are so concerned about <laughs> violence. Where the context is the mob actually went and did violence, uh, broke things, assaulted people. Um, and set fire. Even, even in that context, it's okay to sing Kill the Boer, uh, which I know some of some of our colleagues, they think it's okay, even then. Um, it's like... Uh, at, at least at least that would be consistent if you said don't ban the flag. But for Caesar, it's like, no, ban the flag and never, 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 never censure kill the boy. But that is also just a racial, like, okay, give give brownie points to black people and take it away from white people. And that gets me to maybe just one thing I want to talk about before we move on to another topic. Is Professor Gunner the only expert witness whose evidence was allowed to, to stay in the trial? Oh, my Lord. Do you remember? I don't know if you watched <laughs> Uh, I remind me who, who Professor Gunn is because I dipped in and out of the trial, but I didn't watch the whole thing. Dude, she was the, yep, yeah, she's the, the oh, the, yeah, the, yes, no, I remember. she was the ESF <laughs> lady who like came in a beautiful shirt. She's like got very bright, sparkly blue eyes, sort of bird like expression, very attentive. And she came there to say that the song means one thing and one thing only, and it can have only one effect. And what it means is. Um, that we need better land reform, and so, so, <laughs> and that we we are suffering under an ontocracy or okay. gen, a gentocracy. So, so kill the boer really means remove Cyril Ramaphosa from from office. <laughs> Cyril Ramaphosa is the boer. You have to understand this. Listen carefully. <laughs> Cyril is the boer, and kill means vote against. <laughs> and the reason why is because you need a new, younger generation to take over because they will do land reform properly. Tell me, um, yeah, I wonder if there's, if there's going to be any openings in the department of EFF whispering anytime soon. Dude, it was because amazing. You, you, know, you know the dog whisperer, right? It's, yes. It's, guy trains dogs understands dogs very well and no one else can understand them but he he really gets them but you see apparently <laughs> the same principle applies to the EFF where only certain shamans of great intellect with magnificent degrees can interpret these words uttered by the EFF the EFF is a mysterious and strange organization that exists in a parallel realm of sort of spirits and revolutions doesn't intersect with that of us mundane mortals and only the truly anointed the wise the learned can discern the true meaning of their words that may look like they're speaking english or zulu or venda or whatever but no no what they're actually speaking is EFFEs, which is a yeah. very specific dialect that yeah. only the most learned among us can truly understand exactly um <laughs> yeah, no, dude, look, that, that that vacancy has been filled. <laughs> that job is no longer being advertised. It it is there. She was uh, amazing. And you know, like she was asked by she was asked 
You know, are you saying that a song can never have two meanings or two effects? And she said, no, it can't have two meanings or two effects. It's just one thing. And then it's like, I don't know. What about like in this context, like uh, there's this R Rwandese judgment, uh, which found that two songs were both calling for Hutu solidarity and to exterminate the Tutsis. It's like, didn't that have two meanings? Like, okay, let's all get together and also let's go kill all of those other guys. Uh, and she's like, yeah, but that's in Rwanda. She basically made the argument that, that black South Africans are too stupid to sing a song with two meanings. That Rwandese people or Nazis, Germans, like Chinese people, all other kinds of people can use one phrase to have two meanings. But in South right. Africa... If, or the example if that of, you used at the time, uh, let's go Brandon. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Americans can say, let's go Brandon. And what it actually means is we're going to uh, vote out Joe Biden. But, but poor black South Africans are too stupid to be able to handle that kind of thing. So once there's one meaning, if kill the Boer means vote out Sora Ramaphosa. Uh, and by the way, everyone's smart enough to get that. But once they've gotten that, there's no IQ left for a second meaning. I mean, yes, as this lady was was it's because they're speaking FFEs. It's a, just it's a special language, <laughs> like the most maternalistic rehearsal of that white lady's burden. Like, yo, it's so hard. You guys, you other people don't understand how hard it is. Um, anyway, she was. I, I, I really. I've been going over her testimony for the last half hour. I think it's amazing. Uh, she really explicitly refused to answer a question because she said it's I, you know i can see where it's going in in other words I'm, i can see I'm this so is going to hurt my client so i'm not which she's not respond. supposed to do because she's an expert witness she and then she deferred to so either she's couldn't answer the question because she could see that it was going to hurt malema and the question was can a song have two meanings can it can an utterance have to me she's like no by one of the times he got to ask it he was like i'm, I'm just not going to answer that i can see where it's going and i'm just not going to learning that her her testimony was the only testimony to stand is made me so distraught that i'm currently drinking soy sauce <laughs> dude and then and then it's like the alternative was like that as an ec academic expert in song she can't deal in hypotheticals uh <laughs> Oh man, they're gonna they're gonna have to scrap an awful lot of work that's been done in the mu in music theory over the last you know two thousand years. <laughs> she can't deal in abstracts. She can't deal in like the claim that it, she said it is literally. She said it is literally impossible for a song in the South African context to cause someone to do something other than to join a political party. So then. Mark showed testimony from the Truth and Reconciliation Mark Oppenheimer. Mark Oppenheimer. Where, where someone said, dude, I killed these white people and I would have killed anyone. I was so angry at whites and I was listening to that, so that song, Kill the Boer, Kill the Farmer. And, I, and it, in, it inspired me and incited me to go and kill. I killed this white person. But if it had been another white person, I would have killed them. So Mark reads that out to her and he says, are you still saying it's impossible for the song to ever cause someone to do something because song in the South African country. Okay. In Rwanda, you can see it. It's a different story because they've got a whole different way of thinking in Nazi Germany. It's a whole different way of thinking, but in South African song, South Africa song, a song is a song. This is your argument. You're an expert on South Africa song song. You're in South Africa. You say it is impossible to ever, ever, ever have a song influence someone to go and hurt someone else. Now I'm reading you this testimony. Are you telling me that guy's a liar? She's like, no, he's not a liar. 
So the song did cause him in that instance. Yes, I suppose it did. So now would you like to revise your testimony and say that a song can uh, have two meanings and one of those meanings can be uh, an injunction or an instruction or an incitement to go and hurt other people? And she said, no, it's impossible. Well, um, can, I, can, I make, can I make what I, I don't know? I don't know what to call this, but for some reason the phrase that sort of comes to my mind is a grandma point. I kind of find that this is, this is a point that my grandma might make. Is that singing a song, particularly in our current context, of I'm going to go and kill an ethnic group, particularly whites. I'm going to go kill the Boers. It's just, it's just kind of not cricket. <laughs> yeah. You know, have that on display in a certain historical context, for sure. That's totally part of our history. And, you know, as a piece of music, it should possibly be remembered. Have it as part of an avant-garde art exhibition where a bunch of fancy pants go and listen to it and it does say something, sure. Um, but in a crowd, in a political sense, I mean, just on an esteem level, really, is what I'm trying to say. I really just find it a bit detestable. Yeah, I mean, there was an art exhibition shortly after the Fallist movement got going in at the National Gallery in Cape Town called F-U-C-K, All Whites. Right. Um, I thought the show was didn't live up to its promise. Um, <laughs> like, if you're going to come on with that... That, I mean, that sounds like we're really going to get some edgy stuff, but instead we've got a sort of desiccated <laughs> rehearsal of the same boring three ideas that have been sort of visually represented over and over again. You know, like... Here's, um, here's, here's the truth. The truth is that very quickly art becomes counter-revolutionary. Yes. Because the revolution requires everyone to stick to a single line. Yes. That means that after 15 minutes, the art gets boring and stale and rubbish. <laughs> yes. The, the art that falls under the revolutionary banner and the rest is amazing yes. and good. Yes. yes. Absolutely. And this, this is a nice example. It was trying so hard. It was just, it was very boring. And there was very good stuff outside. Um, but, but, but absolutely. You must have that. Yeah, a very nice example. My favorite example of Kill the Boer. I know it wasn't actually Kill the Boer, but it was very close. It might have even been Kill the Book. Was um, played by Paul Ngobani Grootboom, uh, which is three great names in a row for one person, in my opinion, uh, and is sort of my favorite South African playwright, uh, living playwright. Um, his last show, we talked about it once at length, um, many years ago, uh, seven years ago, 2015, thereabouts, at the National Theatre in Pretoria. Uh, he had this play, which was basically, you know, they didn't use the names, but it was basically about Malema and Zuma. And in the second last act, in the fourth act, um, the Malema character sort of gives this wonderful rousing speech. Uh, and some of the actors bleed out into the audience and the theater was almost empty. I mean, it's like seats one and a half thousand people or something crazy, but there were probably 40 of us all near the front. It's all surrounded by these actors and getting going with this. Dude, by the end of the speech and the chanting, these like six or eight white poppies, to use a slightly disparaging term, you know, youngish white women, maybe students, maybe in their early 30s, um, uh, quite dolled up, uh, and, you know, two or three men who were, I think, very like 
sort of upset that they'd been tricked into going to the theater. Um, the were dude, those white ladies were standing up and cheering along to Julius Malema. <laughs> they were singing Kill the Boer, you know. They were they were into it, and there's this guy making this speech. We need change in South Africa. We need change. We need to take down the elders. We need to put in a new system. It was very, very exciting. Um, it was very powerful to see how charisma, how uh, a confluence of emotional moves that have been beautifully set up and designed by this playwright can confluence to the point where someone is really being whipped up and carried along by a message that, you know, it would be so easy at any other moment in their whole entire life to get them to go against, you know, but at, at the merest prompt, they would say, no, that's terrible. But seduction, theater, politics. I mean, uh, I think we, we did an episode quite recently about, you know, the power one on theater, the Supreme Court, the power one. of theater. Dude, the power of theater is immense. Yeah. And for, but look, and we I must, must always I must have say, that. For all we of that, for all have, of the. Yeah, for all of the reasons you've just stated is why I have a personal aversion to just crowds in general. Uh, I don't like concerts. <laughs> I don't like rallies. I don't like theatre crowds too much. And it's precisely because I don't like that very thing that you just described, that hypnotic, that sort of seductive, that energetic. And I felt it before, you know, I was in a street battle between the DA and Kasatu once. Yeah. And it was exhilarating. It was awesome. Um, but I don't think that it is particularly helpful, but that's just my cranky old well, man. So yeah, 50 I mean, year I old man in it. Look, there's very certain specific contexts where I think that that it can be appropriate. Like pulling down the Berlin Wall, but generally speaking, my first Dude, instinct is the, the to average trust Saturday night. One makes oneself vulnerable to other people, and you know, a good reason not to go to concerts is that someone might have the flu, and you could get sick. <laughs> um, and another good reason is that you know someone might uh, start spreading toxic ideas, and and that can infect you because your your immune system is kind of more vulnerable when you are in the crowd, um, but. I, you know, I love it. I think, um, I think that you, it's, yeah, I'm, almost I'm always a benefit. And the point is, to a certain degree, this is more a taste thing for me, really, than a. Yeah, and and but the line that I want to protect is the line that goes around the theatre. In other words, I, there's no world in which, um, uh, I think it's just to stop um a playwright from uh putting down very very heavy ideas um and uh and i and and that's just different to so in other words the theater the concert amphitheater the very same building uh can be different like a courthouse can be a particular building but you know if that building gets burnt down like parliament they can come and have court in a school classroom. Keep forgetting the that rules, that's happened. The, the thing that really, oh yeah, the thing that really makes one of these rooms what it is are the rules of engagement in the in the room, 
And what I'm saying is it's very important to remember that we must remain sensitive. We must keep open to a space where the rules of engagement are that you can use any four-letter word, where you can call people the K-word, where you can say kill the boy, kill the farmer. You have to confront that stuff in theater. You have to confront that stuff in novels. Right. You have to construct that in, in poems and plays, uh, in paintings, in sculptures. We cannot... The idea of putting the song on trial, the idea so successfully peddled by the EFF that I have heard people who don't like the EFF and who don't like this judgment still come out and say this, is this thing that the song was on trial, that the song was to be banned, that somehow if every forum had gotten its way, um, you wouldn't be able to keep the song alive in in its necessary ways. And I know that we, I'm, re I'm repeating what I've already said, and, and, and I think you mm. summarized it nicely as well. But I am repeating it for effect because I care very deeply about the, the nonviolent spaces in which we as humans are able to grapple with, with trauma and with shared trauma and with history and, and with ideas, very deep ideas, very, very close ideas and very intimate, you know, primal ideas. We have to we have to put sunshine on that. We have to uh, even even if Nick is wise to want to stay at home, you know. <laughs> some of us have to get together and battle it out so that he at home can hear what the results were because that matters too. And the nice thing about the theater is that it's well is that it's a safe space. It is literally a safe space, i.e., safe from people bashing you on the head, um, and the same oh, yeah. for an art museum. And Dude, what's different as, is when there's a mob as, and the police aren't in yeah. control, then that's why there are different rules with the mob outdoors, no security versus indoors in a, in a safe environment where the, where the norms are well established to secure protection from bashing on the head. As, as much as I wouldn't be call, caught dead in, a, in, a, in an avant-garde theater or in an in a art gallery or anything like that, I very much respect your point there that art should be able to do just kind of whatever. <laughs> and that is, I think, I mean, well, otherwise it's not really art, is it? It has yeah. to be kind of slightly yeah. annoying yeah. <laughs> in order to be art. <laughs> edgy, edgy stuff is important. And there's just something really gross. Like I think the, 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 the summation of Professor Gunner's testimony is that Julius Malem is an artist and when he goes on a stage and so is Lozi and they sing songs, you mustn't take them seriously. And it reminded me of a sort of anecdote you had told once about, you know, I don't know, this is an idea of, again, I think a potentially racist idea, maybe not, but maybe the idea that like, you know, if white dudes are going around dressing up as fascists, acting as fascists, uh, mobs, you know, inciting mobs, mobs actually go and do, do damage then that's fascist and that's terrible and that must be resisted. But if black people are doing it, you can't take them seriously. You can't take them literally. You can't, you, you can't take them at face value. You've got to treat black people like children, like artists, yeah. like ironically. I just find that view very... Yeah, that's an old, old affliction. <laughs> nauseating. And, yeah, and, and that's, that's exactly why you came up with this term, white burden supremacists, because it's such a Victorian idea yeah. Uh, yeah to 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 treat people of other races as you know not quite fully adults yes yes and as you said as your grandma said you know this is not cricket 
and, and it's like, and, and, the, and the white burden supremacy. I don't know if she's actually said be, that. I, I haven't exactly discussed this issue with her, but I just can no, imagine no. her saying that. <laughs> and, and I can imagine some white burden supremacists rejoined her being, well, you can't expect them to. Exactly. To pay by exactly. And uh, not, in the words it's of. Not in, of it's former, not in their culture. You know, it's just. In the words not, of former President Donald Trump, wrong. <laughs> we, live, we live in one society we've got it we've got it anyway i mean i think the, the other thing is that it is so marginal like the to 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 get back to the sort of boring work side of things the stuff that this really doesn't matter so much like i think that julius malema's uh deliverance of toxic toxic stigmatization of white farmers is a uh, is it's well established and well understood. Um, I think he does maybe milk the stone a little bit, but I use that phrase because there's not a lot of milk to get out of a stone. Like the <laughs> amount of anger and resentment that you can whip up against uh, a minority race group from uh, a, a podium and from a stage in front of seven thousand people, it, it, it's 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 the very fact. I how do I put this? I'm trying to say, I think it matters that he can go there and sing Shoot to Kill uh, outside the court where Brennan Horner's alleged murderers are facing jail. You know, it's a very particular context. It's very brazen. It clearly sends a signal to the market. We are in charge. Whatever you think is right and wrong, insofar as might is right, the mighty are the guys who are saying, dude, this guy got murdered and... You know, we're here to tell you that uh, as a as a leader, I'm not prepared to forswear the slaughter of all white people if we don't get what we want, which is uh, the erosion, you know, the eradication of private property. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm going to come and make my political speeches outside this courthouse. You know, it's. Uh, it is it is very it is sending a signal to the esteem market and I think that matters. But I think that South Africa has the uh, I think I think that what matters I think that that's already baked in. There already is a small minority of uh, people who support the EFF right because they are rabid racists and the and real a lot of the, the polling that we've seen recently suggests that that support is not exactly expanding rapidly. The EFF is looking like a 10 to 15% party. Yeah. In pretty much all the data we've seen and a lot of the election results we've seen too. So, and, and like only a third of the party or maybe even less is actually right. committed to the ideology. Um, right. So you really did. But, with but a very simply the presence of that third is enough to dissuade other people from getting on board. Exactly. And so, 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 so there is a kind of ceiling and I don't think, you know, for all Kachlima Mutlante is like, I think a civil war is going to bubble out from Senegal. I think where he was wrong, where he was right was that it was reasonable to suppose that there might've been serious blood on the streets. Um, But where he was wrong was to suppose that if there had been blood on the streets, that would have triggered a sort of um, July riots type thing. And that, that, would have gotten um, triggered all the way out of control. Like, I think he's somewhat underestimated the general goodwill um, and common sense that most South Africans have. 
But that can be undermined to the point of, of a, a nullity by the far more powerful force, which is the law. You know, mob rule yeah. is is very effective in, in ancient towns of a population of 100,000 or maybe even a million, where the mob can really kill all the senators in a night and, and get someone new in charge or something. But really, <laughs> if you want to make change in a country of 60 million people, you need to do it through the law. And the trifecta of the new trespass law bill, which basically says, you know, um, it's just much, much easier to go and invade someone's land. The Western Cape High Court's judgment on counter-spoliation two months ago, which basically says that if you if someone gets onto your property and takes off their pants and brushes their teeth, you can't get the police to remove them. You need to get right. a magistrate to do so. And that's going to take eight months through the PIE, Prevention and Illegal uh, Eviction Act regulations. And then the expropriation bill, which says that if you've lost control of your land, then you can be subject to expropriation without compensation. That means, you know, the law says that someone can invade your land. The law then says you can't get rid of them within a year unless you're buying them a separate place. Uh, so, you know, that's already going to cost you a lot. And then the law says if you don't get rid of them, we're going to take your property. <laughs> Dude, that is what yes. the law. That is what these bulls say. I am. Please yeah. read section twelve three C of the expropriation bill. No, and we we have indeed talk, definitely talked about them yeah. on the Daily Friends Road because this is it is it is madness, and this is why we jump up and down and scream about them all the time. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying, Nickers are not laughing because I'm making this up. Uh, yeah, I'm laughing because okay. it's so ridiculously like blatant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just to be clear, the law does not say that if someone invades your land and then takes off his pants and brushes his teeth, you can't kick him out of the police. It says that he becomes a dweller once he has put up more than four pegs to designate his dwelling. Right. So if he gets four pegs and a sheet of metal or a or a or a blanket or something, then then you can't remove him without going through the whole dungus. So so the thing about that kind of stuff is that 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 sets us up, and that's going to come into into play in the next year um, unless we stop it. And I hope we do, but the odds are stacked against us. That's going to come into play and that is going to incentivize a lot of um, desperate people to go and take advantage of the system uh, to invade land. It's going to, that's going to incentivize people to shoot people that are invading their land. That's going to create um, the kind of footage that CNN and SABC will be eager to display to um, drive up, uh, fear and loathing in South Africa, uh, which in turn will have the real effect of harming race relations um, and uh, also harming the market, which is going to create more desperate people who are then increasingly going to be uh, inclined to use this kind of pipeline of legalized theft to, to try and keep their noses above water and 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 once you ratchet that through you know once you rinse and repeat that a few months in a row a few years in a row you get to the point eventually if you do it for 50 years you know you get to a, a place like what what seems to you know some of the worst places like israel and palestine it just seems to me that like most palestinians really don't want to get along very nicely with most israelis um i think it's easier I'm not sure if it's yeah. true that most Israelis don't want to get along with most Palestinians. I think much 
better run society and the better run the society is the the less likely it is to have terrible um uh biases but huge trust you know trust issues uh on the israeli side too in terms of like can you trust uh, there's there's so much blood there that no one trusts anyone and you just you're kind of stuck in an endless vortex of just doing the same thing over and over again yeah so we can we're so far from that is what i'm trying to say you know Motlanta is yeah. like a oh, civil war in a minute nah dude what's yeah no the i, thing I, that I we agree need to worry about is not the speed the song is interesting i've i just think that particular incident was a was which should be challenged but but the 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 it's not it's people singing kill the boy that is not what's going to um have the greatest impact on on farm murders or on the country more broadly. Hmm, hmm, in my right. expert opinion. I said expert. <laughs> well, no, I'm look. Speaking to it. Uh, look, I think <laughs> I think we should have a vote on this podcast. And uh, for one, I vote that you are an expert. And if you vote that you're an expert, then I think we can consider that you are, in fact, an expert. Because democracy never produces bad results. Right. It's now. unanimous. <laughs> it's unanimous. I'm voting with you. I second that. <laughs> <laughs> all right um it's pretty late uh, i think we should maybe call it here we do have a second topic um i think maybe i just want to say a little bit about that second topic and that Please. is so we were going to talk about the much discussed and much the thing that raised all sorts of hackles across the u.s which is the search warrant um executed on donald trump's mar-a-lago house um with uh, regards to recovering allegedly classified materials uh and this has sparked many many different takes everything from on one end of the spectrum ah he's done for now he's been caught red-handed with super deadly state secrets that are endangered american lives and this is going to put him behind bars to this is the fbi attempting to destroy a political opponent because america is now a banana republic essentially a dictatorship and revolution against the regime is justified and this has got all the hallmarks for me of being a little bit of once again like the Russia investigation, which is that it's going to go on forever. It's going to be a lot of hot takes. The FBI is going to be untrustworthy. Trump is going to be a little bit untrustworthy. There's just going to be endless futzing about in courts and legal. And there's going to be new revelations coming out every month. Every month there'll oh. be some new tiny detail that's been into the biggest thing. And it's going to almost certainly end up being a bit of a damp squib. <laughs> it's the bold and the beautiful all over again. Marlena. Marlena came back from the dead for the third time. This time, exactly. maybe Samantha will find the man she loves. I, I don't trust Trump and I do not trust the FBI. So they can all bugger off as far as I'm concerned because this just seems like a short road to nowhere. <laughs> yeah, dude. Accepting it's going to absorb so much. Look, I, I, I think that it is. You know, your society is in a bad place when an arm of government sets out to do something, and they seem almost destined to fail, but that that seems to guarantee their success. <laughs> I, I, I saw a poll relatively recently, which asked Americans, you know, do you want Donald Trump as your president, Joe Biden as your president, or someone else? And something like 65% chose someone else. 
There's something in the US political yeah. system right now where the two parties simultaneously can't be dislodged, but also are not producing candidates that anyone particularly likes. Dude, Donald so Trump and Joe Biden both have about a 40% approval rating. So when, when, <laughs> when Donald Trump was elected, I said to my American friend, and keep saying this, um, you guys have two more throws of the dice. Uh, you didn't, yeah, I wasn't, I was very unhappy at, at the, at the 2016 throw, but I would have been very unhappy with either candidate. Um, but I, but I thought like, and, and the, the reason I say it, then when Biden came in, I was like, yes, you've got one more throw of the dice. Um, yeah. but I'm, but I'm hoping I'm, I'm, I'm trying, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that there's like, maybe dice throw should be measured in eight year increments. And so Biden and Trump can be considered part of the same throw. Or the same. <laughs> I, um, I like this. I like this rule because it, it it the alternative is too horrible to contemplate. Now I agree with you. There's something. The fact that, as far as I'm concerned, since 2012, I think 2012 was the last election where the Americans had, uh, and, and depending on your political view, you'd say one or the other, but it, someone good to vote for, or at least mostly good to vote for. Yeah, that and has not, not been that. true in 2016, and that has not been true in 2020. So I think what's and part of my concern has always been the 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 fiscus um because i'm a sort of as a 12 year old i was very heavily influenced by what was being written about trevor manuel at the time uh as a, as a wonderful hero this is the problem you know i'm just a quick side one you know france crenier i've seen him so many times in briefings and now i've seen john indrus do it too you know when people want to get too negative about the anc talk about the fact that the anc ran a surplus in the mid 2000s that they spent less money than they collected seems uh, like another universe these days <laughs> you know it's like can you believe it dude the thing of what you know one reason that that uh um people who you know i don't like minimalist state minimalists people who want the state to be as tiny as possible uh, or state maximalists, people who want the state to be as large as possible. And usually there's a kind of left and right wing thing, whatever. You know, if a state maximalist really wants to screw things up, they must let there be one surplus. Because if there is a surplus, there's going to be some teenager like me who reads about that surplus and has it explained why that surplus is so amazing and why it's good and is never going to forget it and is never going to shut up about it. <laughs> as like, and the, so, so that's what Trevor Manuel did. Thank you. Uh, to me and I have therefore sort of worried my whole thinking life about the United States' situation uh, the debt more or less doubled under Barack Obama um, oh, no, one, no one's even vaguely talking about fixing that anymore it's dead <laughs> that issue unfortunately I, I must yeah. say that I, no, I have a feeling that the Americans are not going to learn until it, the, the consequences hit them like a freight train yeah and so, and I, and I, and I, and it, and and that's the throws of the dice thing. Like there just comes a certain no. point where the contradictions can no longer sustain themselves. And I think it's, yeah, I think they've got like, I think they've got another throw and a half left, um, because I'm sort of squeezing Biden and Trump together. But if they don't, if they, and and the and the and the main reason I say that is because things like this FBI, Mar-a-Lago soap opera, it's just. It's just, uh, it's not, it's not, I don't think that it's helping them get closer to the difficult conversations they need to have to 
get America in the position where it's it accepts it it confronts the fact that it is no longer the economic hegemon in the world, that it therefore cannot expect an indefinite backup fiat currency boost, that it therefore has to become more productive than it is consumptive, not more than, but rather it has to increase productivity relative to consumption, um, and that it has to stop living on borrowed time in the way that it has done. You can get away with being obnoxious when you are the most beautiful person at the party who is also the host, who is also <laughs> the one handing out all the drugs. That has been right. America. It has been like the hottest babe with all the ecstasy pills. For 70 years. For, and it's over. It's, you know, it's, it's not completely over, but it is finishing. And if they don't get back to work and sort of asking guests, are you a vegetarian? Um, would you, you know, this is where the bathrooms are. Please don't poo on the carpet. Like the, <laughs> the party is not going to work anymore. Um, so, so that's my, that's my bigger picture thing. And it, and it's a similar point to the, to, to the, like the, the kill the boer one. Like, I think it's, um, I, I think no one should be singing that song in earnest. Um, yes. but I, I but I don't think That's, that the. But I don't think it's it's going to be. I don't think it's directly nearly as causally uh, consequential um, as as the as the legal ramping up of things that that get overlooked, that get ignored, that get yawned at, that get the treatment of this is too complicated. I can't deal with the explaining. Like I've got a busy week ahead of me. Um, yeah. And that's what the fiscus is for America because America is, is before it's black and white and whatever, dude, that place is green. It is dotable green. Um, <laughs> and if that green goes, goes, goes sour, ooh, if that green yeah, rots, that, they are, they the are world be about that, which is why I, I speak with such bitterness because I just, you know, it's like watching someone who gets a scholarship, then becoming an alcoholic. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what look, America looks like right now um, and not really I mean, because just, like, they have trauma or anything but just kind of because it's fun yeah, <laughs> it's so much fun bored. Dude, why, yeah. dude, is it so like the only thing I'm getting out of the story by the way now that I poo-pooed it just the one detail is that like okay a bunch of classified documents were found in Trump's basement and there was some Ukrainian who is said to have been hired by a Russian who got into Mar-a-Lago, and so maybe she got a look at the documents. Ugh. Like, how so, serious... So like, I haven't don't read, all I haven't my, read the... I thought, or can I just say, I thought all presidents, yeah. all former presidents still get kind of daily updates and that they're not getting the most hardcore classified stuff, but they are getting stuff that you, average people don't know. If that's a thing, then I'm not aware of it. I know that they have secret service protection um, and they do have that for the rest of their lives, but I don't think they get any security briefings. The The question, so, so I haven't followed the details in minutia and the reason I haven't followed the details in minutia is because I can already tell this thing is going to go on forever. So in other words, I have a lot of time to read up on it. <laughs> I yeah, basically want no enough of it. Bold and the Beautiful, exactly. you don't have to tape episodes. Just watch the next episode because it's going to exactly. be exactly. same as the last episode. I, I, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I know this is going to go on for a while and I can see that this is going to, that a lot oh. of irrelevant things are going to come up before the relevant stuff comes up. 
Right. But as far as I can tell, the central thing that's at dispute here is, so he has some documents which he is not supposed to have because they are classified and have to be stored in a very specific place. The FBI says, we want to come to your house and have a look at them. They come to the, his house, they have a look at them. Uh, they then say, okay, there's this stuff here which we want to come back for later. Put it in a storage locker or in a basement or in a garage. I can't remember what exactly it was. And lock it up and give us the key. And we'll come back later. Then they came back later calling the, the secret service uh, with like a whole bunch of dudes, cut the lock off and took all the stuff out. And the, the question is, no one is entirely sure what was there. There was a, a, the search warrant was released and there was some indication of, and this is some of the stuff I haven't read through properly yet, but that, uh, you know, there was some classified information in there. Um, but the, a lot of it is redacted. So you can't tell exactly what was. No, it's, it's all reading between yeah, the lines. This is, yes. this is exactly the problem, right? People you don't know in suits went into a basement somewhere and came out. To with get over documents you can't read. Boxes for reasons and, you can't know. And here's the thing. It could be everything from, you know, the intimate details of nuclear weapons that Trump was going to sell to the Saudis to a bunch of over-classified photocopied letters, you know, because the U S government massively over-classifies documents. It'll mark things as really like yeah. secretive documents, even though they're actually not important at all. Nicholas so who knows? name is classified. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. So you can see how, and one of the things is, is the question of whether the president, uh, even a former president can ever be uh, gotten for classified material because there's this theory out there which says that the president can essentially declassify anything and that Trump without having to tell anyone can declassify anything he takes home with him at the, just before he loses his presidency uh, yeah okay but so so let me just let me just add one the fly in the so this is what I mean it's gonna get it's gonna get mucked up in all of this kind of like all of the parts yeah, everything's classified, classified. So you can't, yeah. yeah it's gonna be technical and really abstruse not just abstruse yeah. also esoteric so yeah so the former presidents do get intelligence briefings i just googled it i heard it okay. from one of the former presidents in an interview with stephen colbert years ago uh google confirms this it also when you google do former presidents get intelligence briefings the first thing that comes up is like in february 2021 one of the first things biden did was try and keep Trump out of the loop, to use the Vox <laughs> and say he's not allowed to get the intelligence briefings. Everyone else oh, is and has no. been, but he can't. So I want, and then, so I wonder if what Trump has done is just maybe he's got 35 boxes. Dude, Trump doesn't read that much. What does he have 35 boxes of? Maybe that sounds like the number of boxes you might have for day if you put my, all the daily intelligence briefings for the last two years. My in favorite a theory, basement. yeah, on what's going on here is that Trump likes keepsakes and he just took a bunch of documents because he's like, they're mine. Yeah, <laughs> they've got my signature, they're in, they've got the little White House symbol on the cover. Yeah, no, it's mine, and I'm keeping them because they're mine. And screw you. <laughs> Oh, 
this is going to dominate. This is going to be so important. This is going to be on CNN and downstairs every day. And the reason I'm not freaked out by the the, the talk of of Banana Republic is precisely because it looks so obviously possible to me that the FBI is just going to fall on its face. Yeah. yeah no, I don't. I don't think they. I don't think they're sending their best either. I don't think anyone's. I want to know where the best are because they've so not been sent to any of the places you'd expect You know what's them. even worse about there this story? There must be an island of just like amazingly talented or hardworking people it's, that it's are how far are. away from the action. <laughs> there are anonymous sources for stories that get reported very quickly out there in the news. Mm. And then literally the next piece of solid information that comes out disproves that anonymous source. Like yeah. there was an anonymous source that went around that said that Merrick Garland didn't even know that this whole thing was taking place. First words out of Merrick Garland's, uh, he's the uh, attorney general, I think. Yeah. Uh, 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 um, press conference in this is, I personally ordered this. <laughs> just... When it comes to anonymous sources, humanity is definitely not sending its best. Like we need to send better anonymous sources. Where are they, Nick? Where are the good ones? Uh, I don't know. Where anyway, I. This is this is all ridiculous. Anyway, I'm sure. Look, a year from now, we'll know how important this all was. And I must say that the story didn't actually stick around for that long, uh, in the same way that the Russia one did. And maybe that's because look, it's it's definitely going to go on, but it hasn't. I think there is a little bit of a feeling, especially amongst the left wing media, of uh, once bitten, twice shy. Not nearly enough. Not nearly enough. But a little bit. Which I'm See, Brian, Brian Stelter lost his job. I'm, I'm, I've got to say, <laughs> I felt good about that. I felt like that's a, CNN's made a good move. Yeah, there's talk that the new owner of CNN is going to move the thing away from being less of a kind of crummy opinion rag to being a little bit more credible. Yeah, we need that. No, I agree. We need that. That would be nice. Uh, although I saw someone darkly muttering on Twitter that this means then that what little viewership they do have will be completely lost then because people don't want to hear. Right. It is. It's a funny thing about if you go, if you start kind of at the center and then you go to a kind of mad sort of in this instance lefty spot and then you try and veer back to the center, is you lose the centrists on the way to the madness, and right. then when you to the center you lose the maddies, and what right. you're left with <laughs> is your is your parents. <laughs> well, and, look, well, and, well, and not your children. You can't make your children watch CNN. You can just well, like all your left is like, mom and dad. Well, we'll have to see. I mean, CNN was that news station. It's always been a little bit left, but it was always that news station where you just kind of turn on, particularly for like stuff going on in non-English speaking countries on the other side of the planet, like in yeah. Indonesia or Thailand or China or whatever they they report on it. And it would be nice to be able to turn on CNN and not be clubbed in the head by something incredibly idiotic. <laughs> yeah. No, you just get like some... Yeah, just get it fairly straight. It doesn't have to be perfectly straight. Nothing's perfectly straight. Just but like you know, an effort at straightness. You just have to... Yeah, you have to shoot at the target. You can't just shoot like at a 90-degree angle to the target. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think with that, let's let's call it. So yeah. uh, we, we're definitely going to come back to this topic when once we've done all of our homework and and the topic has developed more. Because, like I said, there's lots of muck throwing throwing about now that <laughs> is clearly all not going to be true. Some of it is going to be true. A lot of it is not going to be. Um, so, do you have any recommendations? 
I'll start with the recommendation because I sort of I I I, I saw this last week. Just I th- I think it was just after we shot our last episode on the Friday, and as soon as I saw it, I thought that's probably a good recommendation. I don't often do sort of podcasty or or YouTubey recs, but this one stood out. Um, it's a it's a it's an hour. It's a short video. It's like a twenty minute video about an an hour long video. So the original is made by Johnny Harris, who was at Vox and has gone his own way. And I think we've discussed briefly before on the show. He is, you know, probably one of the English-speaking world's most successful YouTubers at Vox. He he sort of makes these videos about um, all kinds of things, really. History, they're very well produced uh you know good sound good editing good sort of animated uh visuals carrying you through the story i think i brought him up in the context of a video that he'd made about um jumping in really cold water uh and he sort of had done it in a few places and he went to iceland and did it so you know like a nice production value and nice that the dude can fly but you need like if you're getting a few million viewers then i suppose at a point at a certain point you could sort of justify flying to another country to go jump in a cold lake uh, and bring your family with you in a, in a camper van because uh, it all it, it, you know you can financially justify it anyway i think that his his um adventure stuff like that is really cool his politics are sort of often quite boringly unreflexively left lefty um and he'd obviously he made this video about colonialism and you know why what i've always described as the the indispensable hard question of race uh, and the question is you know sort of why is the white GDP per capita so much higher than any other races? Uh, now, that's no longer even necessarily a true statement uh, assumed in the question. Uh, but sort of 30 years ago, it was true. And mm. and people like shy away from the question because it sounds quite like, oh, hold on, why are we, as, as soon as you've asked that, is there any way to answer it that's not racist? Um, and the answer is yes, you know, a, a proper really profound study of history is going to is going to give you all the contingencies uh that you need to understand how that came about without it being the case that any race is inherently superior to any other but it requires a lot of effort and a lot of interest and it um and and a lot of people kind of run out of steam before they get there so instead the most fashionable thing to do is to say well it's because white people are the most evil um <laughs> Yes, uh, which is there's many many more subtle ways of putting that, but that is the prevailing opinion in many circles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm 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 making it's it that, clear. I'm avoiding that, the verbiage old, of saying yes. That old socialist say it's basically a sub distillation of that old socialist saying of at the root of every um, great fortune is some great crime. And and it and it is why uh, why wokeism has both uh, a socialist you know why why the kind of 
race nationalism, why black race nationalism, um, I think tends towards a more socialist. Uh, it, I don't. Language kind of gives up on me a little bit, but like if you think of socialist and fascist as being different, as being deeply different, which I often don't think of them as being very, very deeply different. But if you think of them as being very deeply different, um, you can see why um, German or Aryan race nationalism tended towards fascist, um, uh, a doctrine of supremacy, uh, whereas black race nationalism tends towards socialist. Um, on b because of this sort of asymmetry going into the revolution so for the germans it's like well going into the revolution we you know are doing really well um and weren't if not for the jews we'd be really nailing it um and so what we need is this kind of system and for a, a black nationalist to say well we um, are doing really awfully and that's because a capitalist you know capitalism equals whiteness and both of them are really bad for us so we need to get rid of both the market and the um and anyone who's non-racial or anyone who's white burdens white supremacists of any sort anyway uh that's a i don't know if that's exactly right um but in but in any event as a general principle, because because the, the bad ideas can get inflicted in so many different ways. Like I think you can definitely have, um, uh, uh, in, in fact, as it turns out to be in in a lot of European history, a lot of the uh, race nationalists bent towards socialism. Uh, that was a huge part of how the Soviet satellite states kind of. Well, it is a. It, it was it changed between the wars. Sorry, never mind <laughs> the detailed, complicated history. I made a sweeping. I made a sweeping generalized statement, and now I'm, I'm, I'm talking myself down from it. And so I'm sorry that I that was not <laughs> race nationalism can go socialist or fascist, uh, black or white. Uh, I, I think that's I think that's fair to say. Um, right. But but in Johnny in Johnny Harris's instance, he definitely um, tends towards. Uh, 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 a line that's critical of free markets and critical of non-racialism and tends towards more government control to argue for more government control and to argue for more maternalistic attitudes towards non-white people. Um, so I think that that being said, he also knows that sometimes he goes too far. Anyway, the video that I'm recommending is, is made by this sort of like Swedish or Icelandic or something youtuber who before that had only ever had like 200 or 300 views on any of his videos uh but he made a video to say why johnny harris's video was stupid um sometimes youtube produces one of these and it is they can be truly fantastic it's normally a guy with a crappy camera and not great sound sitting in a room i haven't seen this video but i'm just assuming that this is what kind of what it looks like yeah the production value is not great and there's one or two little technicalities that he could, probably could have worked on in content and it but, and it runs over someone with a huge video <laughs> yeah and this i mean and and this guy gets like a million views by like two days later he's got a million views uh it's completely wonderful for him and i but and i especially want to recommend it for this reason i think it's good it's a good critique of a very bad idea that's very commonly held you know, Johnny Harris has really gone for a lowest common denominator. Like, you know, colonialism was just evil white people going around stealing other people's stuff. That's all there is to it. And that's why the Europe got so powerful. Um, and he and he shows the factual mistakes that Johnny Harris makes. He also shows how Johnny Harris's view 
ends up putting you in a place where, you, I mean, you might think that what you're doing is good work towards non-racialism, but really you're just uh, homogenizing all non-white groups, uh, depriving any agency of the history that you tell, and therefore actually in your own way redoubling on a kind of racist, white supremacist view of history. So I really like that normative aspect of what he did. But I especially like the fact that he too was clearly a lefty, but a center lefty. And I think that one of the things that we've talked about is that the the the, the thought that there's no center left, like left, like f for America to do better, for South Africa to do better, um, there needs to be more center right and more center left um, people checking their own side. You know, center right people who say, look, that far right guy, like, you know, far right is a terrible uh, custom that's been abused and diluted and mangled by uh, lefties. But sometimes it just is right to say that this person right. is right wing extremist. And but I'm going to tell that you, dude over there, and he's a crazy person. <laughs> And you and we need a and I and I'm not going to insult him. I'm just going to sort of talk him down. I'm going to sort of show what the errors of his ways are. I'm going to say that I think overall we're on the same side uh, in a lot of ways. But I need you to do better. And this is where you've made your mistakes. That kind of like checking the dudes in your own team vibe is is very important. And it and I often see it from National Review. That's part of the reason I used to like reading it. That it sort of that often have polite thought pieces, sort of criticizing. Uh, uh, extreme right-wing positions coming from authors who would be very comfortable uh, describing themselves or being described as right-wing. And I thought this guy was doing a nice YouTube instance of of like a center-lefty critiquing a far-lefty and in a sympathetic way, in a way that was clearly aiming at, you know, Johnny Harris, I hope you see this and I hope it changes your mind. And I think it did change Johnny Harris's mind. Johnny Harris wrote this comment saying, dude, you blew me away. You completely nailed me. I was I was dead wrong. I'm going to shut up and think about this for a little while before I do my next thing. Now, I'm not convinced that Johnny Harris is actually a year down the line going to be <laughs> doing better, but I think it's wonderful that he advertised that he would like to. Look, dude, um, it would be it would be a, 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 a I mean, it's not often that people change their minds on the internet, but it does sometimes happen and I yeah, I hope it does. <laughs> Yeah, and it's just great to give it a try at trying to convince someone else. So that's my reason. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's a good one. Uh, I don't have one, um, so I'm just going to recommend myself. And specifically, uh, I wrote a This Week in History thing about some witch trials. But mostly, uh, I didn't cover the witch trials in too much detail. I just talked about witchcraft in general and how, it's a, how I believe it's an all-pervasive thing that exists in all human societies, regardless of time and place. And we just give it different names. Sometimes it's witches, sometimes it's bad spirits, sometimes it's tokoloshes, sometimes it's uh, kami, sometimes it's lizard men, <laughs> sometimes it's the Jews. Uh, <laughs> it's always, people always uh, have... If the list is long enough and it's historical <laughs> at some point. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the idea is that that the, the, the fear of a small group hidden amongst us who are working against us with extraordinary abilities... Um, is 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 one that is i think deeply ingrained in the human spirit <laughs> and every now and again it surges out into the interview usually because something else is going on and i talk about in this piece how uh 
you know, the, the Middle Ages, for example, have this really bad rap as being, oh, the time when everyone is burning witches, but that's not really true. It was only when the Renaissance and the Reformation, you know, normally seen as these kind of engines of uh, intellectual development kicked off that suddenly everyone in Europe started burning witches. <laughs> so it's... Oy vey. It gets, it's just it gets worse before it gets better, hey. Indeed, the road to progress is not a straight line. It is, no. um, and I'm not sure really that you know we're ever going to be free of fear of witchcraft. Sometimes it's, you know, um, it was before my time, but uh, I'm sure you've heard of the satanic panic when everyone sort of was afraid of of satanism being around. Oh, yeah. You know, there were a couple of people who were like crazy Satan cult people, but for the most part, it's not really a big problem a lot of these hysterias, right these hysteria hysterias grip people from time to time and uh anyone i think can find their own favorite example of when this kind of thing has happened um, i mean i think like hot take 21st century witchcraft like the algorithm <laughs> like those silicon valley people with their magical algorithms that can just break your brain and make yes they, they they direct they simply switch they, they wave their hand across the keyboard and then the whole of society can be changed by mark Zuckerberg. yeah 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 yeah, oh, I agree. yeah these guys no 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 people we're too no, the thing about example. humans we're too rubbish and like we we're too good for that but we're also way too messy for that like yes um anyway so i, I hope our listeners find that interesting and with that i think we should call it to a close because it's nine o'clock on a sunday night so i hope that you all keep that flag of liberty flying grr, grr. <laughs>